morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter, closing out 1 Samuel today, 1 Samuel chapter 31. The ESV has the heading, Saul Takes His Life. Is that a fair uh, title? Uh, spoiler alert, I think the answer is no. Uh, but really, we have to <laughs> answer the question, you know, how does Saul die here? Uh, I think that it, it's uh, in a lot of ways, this is a key moment. It's the concluding chapter of First Samuel. Um, when we get into the next chapter, it's a very different situation in terms of who's taking over um, in the power vacuum that Saul leaves behind. Uh, but what are we to make of this, his death, um, the way this was prophesied by Samuel? You know, is, is this punishment? Is this, well, anyways, there's, there's lots of different ways we can look at it here, and it'll be good to, to talk about some of those different possibilities. Um, and I think also then for ourselves, it just gets back to these uh, recurring questions of, you know, what does it mean to, to live a life of faith? And, well, I don't know, does, is everything judged by the ending uh, well, lots of good questions for ourselves. Today joining us, we've got Pastor John Schenk, pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. Good morning, brother. It's good to have you back. How are you and the brothers and sisters in Edwardsville doing? Good morning. We're doing well. We're doing very well. We had uh, chapel this morning, rejoicing in the Lord with our kids and uh, bringing God's Word to them and, and rejoicing together as uh, God has given us this ability to uh, to be together, as long as we're able, we're going to be uh, in His Word and rejoicing in His gifts. Good stuff. Yeah, no, I mean that's uh, it's cool to like also just start off the day with chapel with the kids. It's uh, always energizing. I, I know that um, for myself, it's not I don't know, it's not super high energy, but um, the devotion that we do with our daughters, which is just a pretty simple thing. Um, it's just, it's just, uh, I don't know. I always feel good just coming out of that. Like, it's just kind of a good way of kind of refocusing and, and orienting the day. Right. Yeah. Definitely hollows the day to be in his word and to be praying on that word. And, um, you know, for us as a, as a school family to, um, to lay this before the, the children, cause we had, uh, our gospel lesson for this last week, you know, follows into what we're going to be dealing with in, in chapel for the kids to to understand what it is to be clothed in Christ and and to under. I mean, it does connect us to our our text today about um, a life of faithfulness in the one who has promised to cover our sins in His mercy. So, um, what does that life look like, and what does that life see as the most important thing, and um, to rejoice that we have been clothed in Christ. This is a great way to start the day. There's nothing better than that, right? Amen. Well, brother, let's go ahead. And speaking of good ways to start things out, if you would open us up with a word of prayer. Yes, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you and uh, pray that uh, you would guide us in the study of your word today to uh Watch over us by your Holy Spirit that you would open our eyes to see and open our ears to receive your word. Um, guide us, O oh Lord, into a life of faithfulness to your word and, and a life that reflects uh, that the most important thing, all that is um, truly the treasure of our hearts and the treasure of our lives, is to remain faithful to you. For in your faithfulness to, to us and your promises, 
You have sent your Son, your only Son, to be our Savior, to give us life and life eternal in his holy name. So help us to rejoice in his salvation all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. So 1 Samuel chapter 31, um, we remember in the previous chapter, in chapter 30, we had this situation where David goes back to Ziklag, finds that it's been burned, finds that uh, his wives and the women and children have been captured. Um, and, and we saw how this is this really cool, just themes throughout this chapter of, of resurrection um, and ascension. He, he comes back with everything that was taken and gives gifts. So uh, really, you know, really, really cool, like, Yay, happy ending. <laughs> oh, wait, no. <laughs> There's chapter 31 also. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. What, what, what are your thoughts kind of thinking about uh, just kind of how, how we've been set up for this uh, throughout sure. the book of Samuel and, uh, and, and the context here that, that bears on, on this chapter today? Yeah, so, so as we're looking at 31, um, you really kind of have to go back to 28 yeah. to see that the— the Philistines have, have gathered their forces uh, for war and fighting against Israel. And then you see what Saul has done uh, as he musters yeah. up to, uh, to, to seek um, uh, an answer. Uh, he seeks uh, a medium uh, because uh, at this point then Samuel has already died. And, and Samuel has already promised, that, vowed that he would not bring a word of the Lord to Saul. I mean, you've, you've dealt with that, but just to kind of remember, you have to go back a little further than the last chapter, because then, really, yeah. you've got this forces, uh, you know, uh, lining up for 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 war and battle, and you've got Saul and what he has done to to seek an answer, uh, and kind of reflects his faithfulness or lack thereof, and then uh, you've got the the middle here uh going back to david because david is with the the philistines and you know uh this uh on the other side of the wall kind of deal of what's going on over there and then as you said uh he's uh, not with them he's not with the philistines he's been rejected by their their leaders he got he got to go you're you're one of them you got to leave here so he does but then as you find out um things have happened while they're away and that last uh, chapter kind of catches up with what what David does while this other uh, his fighting while this other fighting is about to commence, and so you've got these two things going on kind of simultaneously, and then you lead into thirty one, which brings us back into that line of going back to twenty eight. Yeah, no, it, it is. Uh, I mean, and it's sort of like I think most, yeah, maybe even like most like modern movies or. Yeah. Or television shows, right? Where it's just you've kind of got like multiple stories kind of going on at the same time, and there's a switching back and forth. Um, and and the switching though, it, it isn't. Um, I mean, it isn't random. It isn't just like no. okay, well, we've done this for a little bit, and now we can switch back to this. But like, if you kind of like look at any uh, movie or show kind of carefully, you, you see that the 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 switching back and forth, they're kind of at like these really like key turning points and what what it does is it lines things up neatly so that you you kind of subconsciously at least end up making these comparisons so uh i i think it's it'll be interesting to kind of see like how 
how it does like make sense that we would switch to Saul right back here, like you were saying, kind of even though that's kind of the storyline that was going on back in like chapter twenty eight, how it makes sense to switch back to this right now. Yeah. But yeah, because um, these two these two David and, and Saul are just their their whole lives, their the uh friendships of uh Jonathan and David, the the this like almost uh brotherly bond and that so everything's like interwoven like you said it's like it's an amazing way to tell these two comparisons of david and saul and what what started with an arc going up with saul and and everything looks looks great and then an amazing uh an amazing fall at at fifth at you know chapter 15 and then the arc of david you know, arcing up. So these kind of two arcs are, are going in opposite directions, but they're still interweaving. Uh, so it tells an amazing story of of this uh, call to pursue the heart of God, pursue him, and um, and where Saul is pursuing something else, and he is, he's falling. Um, so yeah, yeah. And then we have this kind of coming back. And I mean, it just as literature, it's it's beautiful and amazing. But to know that this is this is a way in which God is telling us um, a story that would bring about our faithfulness to Him, a call us to repentance, that calls us to understand His plan for our salvation. It's amazing. Absolutely. Let's uh, let's go ahead and give it a read through. Then this is First Samuel chapter thirty-one here in the English Standard Version, last chapter of the book. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malkishua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor-bearer, and all his men, on the same day, together. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that, the, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled. And the Philistines came and lived in them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. So, you know, it's a it's a short chapter and, you know, you don't get a lot of detail on exactly how he dies. And well, 
It'll present an interesting question to us next time when we look at Second Samuel chapter 1, because mm-hmm. the story is told from a little bit of a different perspective, and so we'll have to kind of sort some of those things out. Uh, but what, what I think is, uh, is, is just interesting, I think, in this chapter is there, there seems to be a lot placed on the significance of his death and what it means for the Philistines and what it means for Israel— right? Um, how there's a couple different reactions, right? For uh, the, it says there for the people that are, where is it now? It's, uh, it was, it was, there you go, in verse seven, right? So the, those who are on the other side of the valley beyond the Jordan, right? So we're talking about, I guess this would be like Gad and uh, East Manasseh, right? along there so when when they saw that or like kind of when they realized found out uh that saul and his sons were dead they're like oh no like no one's gonna stop the philistines now and and they leave and their their cities are taken over um so i mean it kind of feels a little bit like what we just read about how ziklag had uh been uh, just decimated by the amalekites so there, there, there's kind of it's oh no this is bad news uh the philistines cut off his head and prayed it around like a trophy uh, this seems very much like what happened with David and Goliath back in mm. chapter 17, but now it's the flip side. So it's the good news, it says in verse 9, for the Philistines. And then there's the people in Jabesh-Gilead, and we might be straining to remember, hang on, who are those people? We remember those are the ones who are being terrorized by, what was his name? It was like was like Nahab the Amalekite or something like this. Um I'll, I'll look up his name, but like Saul rescued them from him. And so when they find out that Saul's body has been mistreated this way, it's a great offense to them. And they go and they undo this scandal and they show uh, reverence and mourning uh, with the way that then they uh, bury Saul and his sons and fast. So different reactions and different takes on the significance of Saul's death. Yeah, that was uh, Nahash. The yeah, hash, there you are. There you go. And, yep. Oh, uh, oh, the Ammonite. That's right. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, not to be all the, the way back right. to uh, chapter eleven. Yeah, where right. They were. Yeah, taken, that's right. Taken over, kind of overrun, and uh, kind of uh, willing to become their his servants, and then he vows that if they were going to serve, he would gouge out their right eye, and um, yeah, there's a whole a whole lot to that, and and then Saul. Uh, they, they they're given seven days to send out word, and so Saul receives that word, slays his oxen, and calls uh, the people to join with, or these things will happen to you. They join with, they go, they they avenge, and so um, they rescue the people. Yeah, and that that's definitely in the back of their mind. Even as even as we can look at Saul and see how far he has fallen, Saul was there for them in his time of righteousness, in his time of following the Lord. Um, mm-hmm. And so they remember and, and come. So, yeah, we have that to discuss, too. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's um, and the last thing you said, too, like his, his time of, of, of righteousness or following the Lord. Like, we'll, we'll want to talk about that as well. So lots of, lots of good things here uh, to consider. Um, let's see, we got, we got a few questions that came in over email. If you guys listening live do have any questions or comments via email, you can send them to KFUO at KFUO.org. Um, 
I, I think here the I think we want to save these for a little bit here. Um, this is kind of talking about uh, kind of more like ultimate judgment of God. So we'll 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 get there. Um, but let's let's first kind of circle back around and look at the first couple of verses. So here in chapter thirty-one, uh, we have the the Hebrew indicating that we're kind of picking up uh, something in the middle of the action, right? So this kind of like you now back to the Philistines, right? Because the last thing we've been reading about was David and the Amalekites, right? So now it's okay. Now it's you know switch scenes, right? Or kind of brought into the the middle of this here, and it's right before um, basically things go south, which is exactly what Samuel had prophesied, or you know what Samuel had said, you know, like as a as a shade from Sheol, right? Um, and, and then we're just kind of told in summary, the Philistines strike down um, Jonathan and Abinadab and Malki, uh, I mean, you can say it's like Malkishua or uh, Malkishua. I mean, you can see like the similarity between this name and Joshua, right? Um, of course, it's, uh, I, I think in some ways that the biggest thing about these first three verses <laughs> is that there is no mention of Ishbael <laughs> or Ishbosheth, right. which should like be kind of like a little alarm bell going off, like, hang on, one of his sons survived. Um, like, what, what do you what do you take away from these first couple of verses that set the scene? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely gonna. I mean, there's some foreshadowing there for for what's gonna come for David for the people of Israel. Um, are, are they going to um, the the chance of uh, of uh, civil civil war here of who they're going yeah. to follow following Saul's uh, following Saul's death, um, but with I mean, if I guess what strikes me when when we come to a battle scene and all of the because these would be commanders I mean these are aren't just like oh and the, yeah obviously they're fighting at the front I mean they would have been at the front but as leaders so if yeah. they all die it means that every, you know this means that something really, really horrible happened for the for the army of Israel, right? Yeah. Um, it's not like, well, just these three people died. That would not have been, just like oh, if, yeah, no. if we get to, to Saul and there's no one around, well, why is that? Because the army has been amazingly defeated. Uh, yeah. To the fact of, um, so then when, when we get down to, well, why did these cities, you know, abandon? Because the army has been destroyed. Like, who else is going to come to their aid right now? I mean, they think there is, uh, you know, again, putting their trust solely in in the uh, strength of men <laughs> and yeah. uh, and those things. But uh, yeah, the if if every leader has been destroyed and killed, and now uh, we'll get into the mockery of it all. Um, yeah, what kind of hope would they have? So that that I mean, that kind of defeat when all the leadership has been defeated. There's no retreat. There's no escape. I mean, they're all def they're all dead. Well, so let, let's talk a little bit about what you were saying here, the, the kind of defeat that's going on. So um, we've, we've kind of had a couple questions about about this, and uh, yeah, I, I've had to kind of just admit and say, hey, look, uh, you know, history, geography, ugh, you know, this, this, this isn't my specialty here. I'm more of the language stuff. But um, so I think that if you kind of look at what most scholars would agree on, uh, the way that they kind of reconstruct this is that when earlier we have this mention of the Philistines uh, all mustering together at Aphek, 
and the Israelites all gathering together in Jezreel that were talking about the the Jezreel Valley up in the north, which would have been, you know, territory of like Issachar, um, and not uh, Jezreel down south where we suppose that that might be like a city in Judah or something like this. Right. Um, if, if that's if that's what's going on, um, I can't. I, I don't know if this is a helpful speculation or not, but if you look at like a topographical map of of the Holy Land, right? One of the things that you see is that there's this, uh, there's this, I guess what you might call a coastal plain or a sea plain uh, that the Philistines basically live on, right? Right. Um, over like just uh, to the west. But, but then like you go to the east and just really quickly, the elevation just shoots straight up um, and you can see why no one wants to try to attack Jerusalem because <laughs> it's just like, get your mountain climbing gear. <laughs> like this is going to be challenging. Um, but one of the things that's, that's pretty interesting about the geography is that when you look towards the North, um, this is like kind of one of the only places where the elevation gradually goes back down to sea level towards the north as it kind of slopes down gently into the Jezreel Valley. Like there's this mention of Mount Gilboa. Mount Gilboa is kind of more like a hill. (laughs) I mean, when you, when you compare it to the other mountains in the area. So, um, so I don't know, this, this is just like me, just like I said, speculating kind of out of ignorance, but as far as I can tell, this could be very concerning if you're an Israelite, because if the Philistines get through to the north on the Jezreel Valley and they start going up Mount Gilboa, oh man, now their whole army can just march around wherever they want in Israel, right? Like it, the mountains aren't going to save you now. They, they've taken the gentle slopes and uh, you, you better get out of there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because then, uh, like you said, you know, to the east— um what's uh, what's going to defend them you know their their defense would have been the the Israelite army cuz like you said typographically there there's not much defense there um yeah. so when the armies are when the army and the the leadership and even if there are men you know you I'm sure there could be more people mustered to the south I'm sure it's not every last fighting man has been i'm not saying that but when leadership and um the king has died i mean that's going to shudder the whole people throughout the land um it's gonna it's gonna cause them to to wonder who's really in in charge and who's really going to be able to defend you well and then um to your point about what happens when you lose like the leadership i mean and we've seen this before what these fights they go on and then there's this, this this turning point where you basically have, as you were saying, you either kill enough of the enemy's leadership or, I mean, you, you just do enough damage generally that they break their ranks, they lose their formation, and what, what ends up happening is just people just start running in all directions, and it's just every man for himself, get out of here, right? Right. And, and, and when that happens, that's bad. And we've seen this kind of again and again and again, because once the enemy has you in that spot, it's just everyone's just... I mean, it's, it's just kind of easy pickings then at that point. And, and you see this throughout, and like Joshua judges that the enemy then would pursue, and you just, and you pursue because you're just going to, I mean, it's just like free, it's just free shots, basically, 
against the the enemy army as they're all just running away. So when it says that the uh, the men of Israel fled before the Philistines, that's bad. That means that they've they've fought. Um, so there's there's no need to assume that like the the army wasn't like there with Saul. Like no, he was there with the army that had been mustered. But the, the point is that they were now just running away. Um, right. and, and just people are just dying. That's what it says, fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Like, they're being chased up the mountain, and they're just dying left and right. And that includes, then, Saul and his sons. Uh, it's time for our break, but we'll be right back, everybody, with more on so- uh, Samuel 31 here on Thy Strong Word. Be right back. In many ways, St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bel Air, Maryland is just like any other Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod Church. They have worship services each Sunday and reach out to their community, but one thing they don't do is pay their electric bill. Hello, this is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. And if you want to hear what St. Matthew actually did to eliminate their electric bill, just visit interesttime.org. That's interesttime.org. On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. LHFmissions.org. The USA is the third largest mission field in the world, and church planning is one of the most effective means of making new disciples, new missions to new people in new places. Get ready to plow the fields. Check out the Mission Field USA podcast produced by the LCMS Office of National Mission. You can find it at kfuo.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 31, last chapter of uh, this, this book. But as we've said before, really, this is kind of one big thing here. Um, you know, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings. So we'll be going right on into the next part of the story here, uh, which just picks up right in the aftermath of Saul dying uh, with David and Ishbael, or Ishbosheth on opposite sides and that we have what what seems to be setting up for a, a civil war two different kings are going to be claimed so uh just it, the story just keeps going on here uh, it'll be good to get into that uh but for today looking at first samuel chapter 31 talking about uh, what what is the really the significance of saul's death here if you've got any questions or comments for us, you can also get on the live stream, facebook.com slash AJ Espinosa. Uh, one of the questions or, or comments here, we've got to talk about this this trophy business, right? Because claiming kings or, or even just their dead bodies as trophies, this seems to be a significant and a recurring 
theme that we've seen, and I think it plays a lot into Saul's request here. Um, so this is this is this is interesting. We'll want to take a look at that. Uh, you can also give us a call one eight hundred seven three zero two seven two seven if you're listening live, or if you're in St. Louis three one four eight two one zero eight five zero. I want to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org. Thank you guys for underwriting Thy Strong Word. Let's uh, let, let's take a look at this stuff about about trophies, right? Um, so right before the break, we were talking with our guest here, Pastor John Shank, pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois, uh, about about how okay th- this indicates that the battle. Um, you know, the, the battle was lost. They're right, right at the point now where the Philistines are just going to kind of chase them as far as they can to, to just kind of rack up the casualty count um, on the Israelite side. I mean, you got to think about this in the ancient context. It's just like uh, th- these these battles and wars and skirmishes are just kind of perpetually happening. So if you can, you know, reduce their troop count by another few hundred or, or thousand even, that's just giving you breathing room. So, of course, they're going to pursue it. It says here that the the archers find Saul. He's badly wounded by the archers. And then he says here to his armor bearer, we remember that he had something like 20 of them or something. Um, so this isn't David anymore, <laughs> clearly. Uh, but he says, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. What do you make... Pastor Shank, of this request here. Um, you know, like I was saying, uh, I, I think I misspoke. It's not the, it's not the ESV that, that has this heading. Um, the, the ESV just has the death of Saul, which is, yeah. uh, I think, a little bit more helpful. But there, uh, I forget which one it is, but one, one of these modern Bible translations has the heading, um, Saul takes his life. So, I mean, like, I, I don't know. It's interesting, because some people have looked at this as suicide, well, I don't know. What, what, what's your take? Like, how, how are we to interpret this request? Yeah, I think we—so we have a couple different things you brought up. One about why would he want to do it, or maybe what's in the back of his mind in the midst of ask, first asking his armor-bearer, who then, uh, according to this account, <laughs> refuses yeah. him. And, uh, and then uh, so he fell upon his sword and died— uh, so he uh, he it appears uh, that uh, he took his life and then his armor bearer out of uh, fear because his life was uh, uh, con- connected to the life of his king. Um, he uh, fall he does the same. Uh, I know next uh, next chapter that you take on will will kind of give its own interpretation of what happened, but that yeah. might or might not be true. Um, yeah. <laughs> but if we so, if we want to get into speculation, what might have been in the back of, uh, of Saul's mind of of why he had appears to lo- lose all hope, um, I, I would kind of point back to to uh, Samson. Um, yeah, you know, and he was taken by the the same uh, not these same but uh, the same people, the Philistines, and yeah. when he was taken. Um, they didn't. They didn't just. Well, we, we take you. We're going to put you under trial, and uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> now convicted you. And sorry, you're going to have to lose your head because, of course, you killed so many of us. It's not like that, you know. Nope. Uh, you have your day in court. No, they gouged out his eyes. Um, they uh, they mistreat him. 
they they take him as court spectacle and and yep. make fun of him and use him as entertainment it, yep. you know so these are the things that are in the back of his mind i i'm going to be used for entertainment and not in no. a good way not like oh no. sing for us no, um, no, no as no. physical entertainment to mock and to abuse um in a pretty horrific ways um so he's thinking about those kind of things um and in the midst of it he uh it appears according to this text chooses something that's um not a good end, not something that the Lord um, says it should even be an option for us to to take what doesn't belong to us. Our lives don't belong to us. Um, if, yeah. if that's the case. Um, yeah, so, no. So, so that's so that I think I, I really appreciate the comparison too to Samson. I, I think that's that's spot on. When when he says you know mistreat me, <laughs> I yeah. mean, that's a pretty gent that's a pretty gentle <laughs> translation. I mean it's uh, I I think that we're talking more about my goodness this is like my third like um, Iliad illusion here in like a week or something. But like um, one one of the major characters dies, and I think if I recall correctly, Achilles just takes the body and just drags it around the city in his chariot like just right. over and over and over again and just. I mean, desecrates the body in this super scandalous way. It, it's just like breaking the hearts and the spirits of everyone in the city to like watch their son be mistreated this way. I, I mean, th this is this is what they do in, in the ancient world. They don't, they like you said, they don't just put you on trial for war crimes and give you your day. No, um, I mean they're they're trying to inflict uh, uh, damage. I mean, psychological damage, um, spiritual damage by the, this really symbolic mistreatment putting it lightly you know of of the body here and so uh so th this is interesting then because you got to think about this like on the one hand you could you could say and i think this is maybe for whatever reason i, I well i mean i i think i i have some ideas about what reasons um <laughs> uh that that I'm, I'm just noticing one of the comments here it's uh saying on facebook that was hector's body yes yes so, sorry for the spoiler there i know that lots of people were probably waiting for the, the the very next iliad movie to come out sorry for spoiling that one uh but but uh that aside uh I, I think that for whatever reason in our modern context we look at this as like oh saul's like you know he doesn't want to like have his eyes gouged out that would be painful and scary uh he doesn't want people to make fun of him and mistreat him and so he commits suicide that's uh that's you know, kind of like in a modern way of looking at it. But I mean, putting it in this context here, I mean, he's the king, right? What's it say when the representative of God, the person who has the title son of God, right, who was anointed by God, is going to be, uh, you know, pierced through by the Philistines, um, how, how he's going to be taken back, maybe have his eyes gouged out, maybe made a spectacle, Maybe the people of Israel are going to say, oh, no, look what they're doing to Saul. Uh, how could God allow this to happen? They're just having their way with him, with us. Um, maybe they try to rescue him, right? And who knows how many lives are lost in the process. Um, you know, maybe they torture Saul and they get information out of him that compromises the Israelite army or the defense of uh, Gibeah. I mean, I, I don't know, but like— Basically, suffice it to say, I, I feel like I can think of actually a lot of really good reasons why he would make this request. You know, I mean, if he's—it doesn't say 
it doesn't really say specifically how badly injured he is by the archers, right? But the point is he's, you know, minutes away from dying, but he just wants to make sure that the Israelites are not going to suffer even more on account of his death. And he's really just kind of choosing the way that he dies for the sake of his people. Then I don't believe that that would be suicide. I think that would actually be something of a little bit of self-sacrifice in that way. So I don't know. I mean, I mean, yeah. what, what, what do you think? Those are two very different ways of, of looking at this, right? Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it would be, but I just can't, I can't go to the point where he is that Saul is thinking about his people in this. I I mean I that's a, a good that's a good eighth commandment uh look at uh best construction and I I, I mean I should I should do that <laughs> but in my sinfulness <laughs> or my just looking plainly at the text I see a lot more of Judas here than of a noble death, unfortunately. I see a lot more of despair that doesn't have any repentance. It's not like he has chapter 26 here in mind where he, where Saul says that he has sinned uh, and that he has acted foolishly. He doesn't say any of that. He don't, there's no end uh, announcement of remorse and regret and and asking the Lord to forgive me, let let me act one more time like he like with Samson, let me die this way, Lord, and I'm gonna take out a bunch of these people. he doesn't do that. He sees um he sees suffering as as the as an evil that there could be no good out of it. And that's not the way that we as Christians should see suffering. Uh that yeah, there no, is that, that's no fair. Benefit. And so, that's fair. No. So if he's just if he's just trying to like get out of potentially suffering, suffering. more, yeah. and he's just saying like, oh, I don't have a very good quality of life ahead of me, right? Like, right. We we would then, say that, and, and I think that I think that's actually why we go there, because yeah. in in our times we think about euthanasia and we talk about you know legislation about whether or not doctors are allowed to give um, you know uh, drugs that that kill, right? Uh, for patients who are terminally ill, et cetera, right? And, and, and so we start kind of thinking about that stuff because that's what we're talking about. And y you have lots of sentiments of like, hey, you know, like, you know, it's my life and I get to choose when it ends. And, and, and the means and, and, and by those when it ends. Things. I mean, yeah, even it's exactly just right. That, we need to uh, kind of push back and say, well, no, right. the, the Lord. And here, I because I, I mean, where I say I don't really, I can... I have a hard time going. I mean, I wish I could. I wish I could say that he's thinking about Israel, but he's not even thinking about his armor bearer. When he's saying, you kill me, he's, he would be signing the death of his armor bearer. The guy would die. You can't kill the king and then still live. We'll see that tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, well, that well. <laughs> even maybe if it's brought Indeed. up, uh, uh, maybe even if that story is not true, which it might not be true. Um, just to say that this is what you have done to a righteous man like David means that you yeah. deserve to die. Um, so, and then when he does it, when he does this act, I mean, according to this text, where we have to take it, this text is the one we're dealing with today, exactly. um, is that he falls on his sword. Um, so what, then what does the example he sets for his arm? Then he does it as well. So it's like, this is the tragedy that we often face with a young person who who does 
see that there is no more hope for me tragically takes their own life the the thing that we have to as as pastors have to quickly do and uh is to gather up all of our young people and encourage them not to do that um because there have been times where more than one person takes their life because there's they see this as a way out of a bad situation um, but this is not an example we should follow. And tragically, his armor bearer follows an example right, right after he does it. So, well, yeah. So, so I think that, um, yeah. I, I mean, that that explanation I think is is a very helpful application for, like we were saying before, the sorts of things that we're thinking about, right? Because, because in our context, right? Yeah, we're we're thinking about, you know. De- depictions of suicide on you know <laughs> on Netflix and 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 like gr- group suicide and and a, a, a steadily rising um, suicide rate um, especially among the younger people and so like those are the things that we think about and and in many ways we've been thinking about for decades in our country and so I, I think we kind of look at this text and think about those things and so I, I feel like as much as we say you know hey Saul you know was was a bad king and what he did was wrong and i i think in some ways this is more of like a a a pious and in a good way in a good way right pious means faithful right um reaction against like you were saying uh, these sorts of things a push back against these things uh, but i i think you know there's a lot to be said about this and we don't have to you know it, it's fine we don't have to agree on everything here sure. but i will say um the word that's used for the badly wounded um, is the same word uh, that's actually used for being in labor, like of a woman, like well, like when she's in like you know the labor pains and like is giving birth. Um, I, I think the idea is Saul has been riddled with arrows; he's going to die any moment. I don't think we can expect a big repentance speech from him because one of those has probably punctured a lung. Um, and he can probably barely eke out the words he's able to eke out to his armor bearer. Um, so, I mean, I, I think under the circumstances, I don't know if we can expect to see much more from Saul. And and I think it does get then to this question of, you know, is is there like a reason why it would make sense to do this? Um, you know, and, and I think that overall, you know, this is something that, you know, maybe if you're, if you're listening and you're wondering about this yourself, go, go back and look over First Samuel, right? Because this is kind of the question. Um, you know, I think a lot of people see it as Saul again and again refuses to repent, uh, whereas, you know, I see this as Saul again and again struggles and repents and then sins and then repents and then sins. And it's, uh, hey, that's, that's actually the ups and downs of, of the walk of faith. So, I mean, there's, there's two uh, pretty different pictures to, to take a look at that. But I think this speaks to some of the questions we got over email, uh, which, uh, so, <laughs> so some, of the, some of these questions here, um, you know, what does this chapter teach us about the consequences are, are, of our actions? Are traitors rewarded and honorable men left to fall alone in battle? Um, there's got to be a special place in Dante's Inferno for evil men like this. And then uh, furthermore, what level of or circle of the Inferno is uh, Jonathan damned to for his treachery against his own house, um, his kin slash family? Um, I'm trying to trying to think about what we're getting at here. Do you want treachery? Like we might be talking about on Jonathan's part? Like I haven't... Um, 
Would that go all the way back to when he ate and he shouldn't have? I mean, is that is he talking about that? I mean, I guess he could be talking about here um, just how he generally helped David. And so maybe that's uh, kind of, I, I mean, oh. you know, I, I mean, Saul was taking it that way, that it was a kind of betrayal. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, these are, these are, uh, you know, these are some interesting questions. I, I really just don't think though, that when you look at this chapter, that this chapter is saying, uh, I mean, I don't think it's saying the opposite, but I don't think it's saying like, Hey, um, Saul and his sons like got their comeuppance, um, because, you know, they just, they were terrible, terrible people. And, um, you know, and so now they're damned to hell. Like, I just, I just don't think the chapter, like you can, you can read it like that. Um, it, it narrates how he dies. Um, it narrates that this is a bad news for the Israelites, good news for the Philistines. Um, and, and the note that it ends on is one that's reverential towards Saul, right? I mean, it's, it's Jabesh Gilead being like, Hey, we're not going to let this body just be uh, desecrated uh, and we're going to take it back. We're going to give it a proper burial um, under the tamarisk tree, um, and we're going to fast for seven days. So, I mean, he, I, I think it yeah. ends on like a on a reverential note. I don't, I don't think you can take the I chapter guess. as like these are all just terrible men that that ought to be condemned. But even that, I mean, there there's a, I mean, there's a tone to that that's not complete. I mean, even that, there's a, I mean, that's the only, the other times where bodies are burned are not good. That's not even that is. I mean, it's not. Uh, if you look at to, to David and what he does, um, there, there's uh, there's that story, and that was not to be say, to be seen as a a good thing for this body to have been burned. So even that, there's some interesting. It's like, okay, well, did they really burn those bodies, and what does that mean? And um, yeah. so historically, I would say the the majority view is in the line of. Saul did not die well. I mean, if we're just looking at historical commentaries and how most have viewed the death of Saul and his reign and his end is not not viewed. I mean, yes, there is the minority view that, hey, maybe— I guess he, it depends uh, on how far we go back. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I because because cause if, if you go back to, like, you know, um, I mean, like B.C. interpretations, I, I think there's uh, a little bit more— plurality but you bring up a really good point about about the burning right because yeah. i think that that we might we might read that and we might say well hang on a second burning the bodies is that like some kind of pagan thing um and like you said like there are there are some connections with burning the bodies that um you know are like hang on a second like was that was that a was that a good thing um i, I think under the circumstances you got to consider okay you know the philistines unfortunately they you know they, they weren't able to take away saul as like a prisoner, the way that Saul did with the king yeah. of the uh, of the Amalekites, right? So I mean that that's a that's a good thing for Israel that they didn't yeah. have like their their living you know court jester like they did with Samson, right? So okay, there's that, but they are abusing this body, um, you know that they've made it a spectacle. You know they 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 take the you know this is so this is so fascinating. They take the head, they take his armor. And they take his body like this, and it's like decorations, which which is like kind of really analogous to how David cuts off Goliath's head. Um, his uh, Goliath's sword, right, is like a you know like a relic, basically like a trophy. 
So they're doing all this stuff. You got to imagine at this point, the body is in really, really bad shape, right? This is uh, not what you would call a, an open casket funeral at this point. So burning the body might have, you know, I got, I got to say, like, I wonder if it actually isn't reverential in these circumstances. And the fact that they take the bones, like they don't like incinerate everything to nothingness. They take the bones and they do bury the bones. And this actually shows some continuity with ancient Israelite burial practices. I mean, this goes back to, uh, well, I mean, you can think about of the bones does the, the, not, yeah. I mean, the yeah, historically right. you would bury the body and then the body would decay and then you'd take the bone, you know I mean? So no, that's right. I mean, well, well, it's, it's, that was one of the options, right? Yeah. Well, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, one the, the idea of like an ossuary, right? Yeah. The one that's recorded mm-hmm. primarily in scripture is not to burn the body and then take the, I mean, this is the only time in a pot in a, and I'll agree with you in a somewhat positive way, we're talking about burning and then collecting and then burying. Um, right. So we have to kind of be honest about the evidence of, of how many times is this described? Well, this is not normal, at least. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's not. It's not presented as normal. But um, to to one of the the comments here on Facebook too, though, it's like uh, you, you just honestly don't have a lot in the Bible that describes this stuff in detail. Um, I mean, there's like a lot of stuff about like the ins and outs of like what would a, like an average person's wedding have looked like? What would have an average person's um, you know circumcision um, like ritual looked like, or, you know, the burial looked like, and it's like, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, gaps and like, there's kind of like, you know, important prominent moments here and there, but that hardly is like a, you know, like a sample size of the whole population. So, I mean, the Mm -hmm. chapter is in many ways humbling because of just, um, how few things, uh, how how few details really we have like fleshed out. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Sort of an unfortunate pun there. But I mean, I do think, I, I I do think though, right? Like, isn't it isn't it significant so that the people of Jabesh Gilead um, yes. find us find this out, and they and they go in the night and they they recover the body. Um, what what do you yeah. what do you make of that? Like that because that is the ending here. I think that's amazingly faithful. I think that that shows true reverence to, and it it falls in line with then what we come to the next. It, it's an amazing connecting to then getting us back to David. How yeah. did David treat Saul his whole life yep. as the Lord's anointed? So even as Saul was, in the end, rejected by God to be the king, he was. I mean, that's that, right. it's true. Um, and then as Saul leans on a medium, which is an abomination to the Lord, yeah. even as these things are happening, and even as he dies, um, you know, we'll leave it at that. Even as he dies, he still, or was still, at one time, the Lord's anointed, and that should be respected because we should respect the Lord. And that connects us to David. And it's an amazing. I mean, God is so good. He like he does such a beautiful job of connecting us back to His anointed. And even in the worst circumstances, or in bad circumstances, the respect that we show those yeah. in authority shows our respect to the Lord. It's definitely a fourth commandment. Beautiful picture of how we should respect the fourth commandment as we really... respect the Lord. I really appreciate that because I think in our own context, right? I mean, like we're, we're right now we're, we're filling a vacancy, right? That, that was mm-hmm. left on the Supreme court. And it's just, 
Yeah, it's it's true. Okay, so you know when one of our leaders in the United States dies, they're not the Lord's anointed. But as you were just saying, as it says in, in as Paul says in Romans chapter thirteen, right? They are the authorities that God Himself has placed over right. us, right? And so there there really is no room for dancing on the graves of our civil leaders. Because I mean that really is disrespectful ultimately towards towards God Himself by doing that, and I think you're totally right that whether it's the people here in Jabesh Gilead or um, Saul's armor bearer who refused to stretch out their hand against the Lord's anointed, you see a David-like reverence, a David-like piety here, right? Yeah. So I mean that that really is something I think that the transition's already happening that we are we are being restored to a better and purer piety. We're, we're going back towards the way of David um, after what has been a, been a lapse, been, yeah. been a time of, uh, of failing. And I think, I think you do see a little bit of why this is wrong for Saul, because even David is saying you can't touch the Lord's anointed. And I think that even it applies to Saul, and I think there's a, just, a juxtaposition against the two, as we've been saying, Saul and David. David would not touched his head, he would, he would even possibly here take his own life, which reflects tragically, in my opinion, uh, maybe his faith position on how he uh, maybe viewed his own life, which, which then helps us to get to David, which David lives his life seeking the Lord. Um, again, it will call, you'll get your own, the other stuff, but in this oh, time yeah. frame, you've, you've got a man who is seeking after the Lord and and I think that's a a beautiful reflection of what our lives should then reflect as well. Uh, no, no, certainly you you, you do have um, David's going to have his own problems. Um, he's going to have his own rejections in different ways too, right? Um, but you, you you do see that there there is a, a clearer picture uh, pointing to Christ in in David than than you do have in Saul. But but even in this moment here, or a moment of tragedy, you already see God working uh, restoration even in this dark moment here. So thank you, brother. I really, I mean, just a lot of good stuff in here that you have to wrestle with, and I appreciate you working through it with us today. So thank God you. bless you, and look forward to having you on again soon. Amen. Everybody, Pastor John Shank, Trinity, Edwardsville, Illinois, going on to 2 Samuel chapter 1. we got to compare these stories here. Till then, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.